Welcome to Faith Sermons and Studies with Pastor Joe DeVitro. I hope your anchor holds. That was the song she was playing. And I tell you what, if you're, if you're watching the news right now and you're, you're excited about where, where America is right now, then <laughs> you probably need to readjust your anchor because <laughs> we're drifting as a country. Um, we really are. And um, I hope that as we, you, you look at what's going on in the politics of our time, the news of our time, that you don't get so caught up in this world that you miss the world that's coming. You know, it's got to get worse, doesn't it, before Jesus comes? We know that. And if we see things begin to gravitate towards evil, guess what? We know that the time of the Lord is what? At hand. It's near. The time is near. So this morning, I, wanna, I want us to go to Matthew 24. We're going to look at uh, just a portion of Scripture. We've read it a couple times, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time giving you the context around it. Uh, but I want to look specifically at this one passage. You say, Pastor Joe, you're kind of jumping around Matthew 24 and 25. Why aren't you going in order? Because it's not in order. Remember, I told you that at the beginning. Uh, if you read down through this and try to put this in order, you're going to struggle because Jesus isn't giving it in order. He's giving it in answers to three questions, right? What were the three questions? Do you remember? They're right at the beginning of the passage there. What is the sign of your time? How do we know when the end of the age is? And when are you coming again? So he's answering the three questions and he does it in a narrative form. So for us to sit there and, and try to read straight down the passage, like, well, he's going to give us a chronological order of how these things are going to be. But that's not how the question was asked. The question was asked in three different accounts. You know, what time is it? What is it going to look like? And when are you coming again? And he answers those questions in these two chapters. So this morning, I want to answer this question a lot of people have. What in the world is going on? You ever been there? Like, what in the world's going on right now? Where are we at in this whole thing? What, what, how do we know, Pastor Joe, you're saying things happened with Israel that we should know about. Well, I don't know what those things are, Right. How many know all the prophecies have been fulfilled in the last uh, 70 years for Israel? Hopefully by the end of the service, you're not going to just know what some of them are, but you're going to know the passages they come from. And that's the goal this morning is, I want us to know what the Bible teaches. Not just go on religion, not just go on feelings, not just go, what does the Bible actually teach? In his book, Tale of Two Cities, Charles Dickens said this, It was the best of times, and it was the... You guys are all scholars. You know American literature. Doesn't uh, British British literature? <laughs> it's not American. Sorry. This is why you don't leave your notes. You don't do that. But doesn't that fit the world we live in today? For some of uh, some aspects, this is the best time. When has the gospel ever gone forth like it does today? When has there ever been more access to the things of Jesus Christ than today? But on the flip side, why is the world continually getting worse, if that's the case? So while it's the best of times, it also is the worst of times. Best of times when it comes to theological advancement and conveniences, the worst of times when it comes to moral, spiritual fabric of society in the world. Right now, we're living through some of the worst economics some of us have seen in our lifetime. Some of you are young, that's the case. Some of you are old, you're like, no, nope, I've seen it worse. But 
What about on a global scale? Have we ever seen it this bad? Uh, we're, we're living in a time in which um, international disasters, natural disasters, economic disasters, the frequency of events, pestilence, disease, and famine are rampant. After all, we all need to work together to cure world what? What does that sound like? Biblical. We, you know, 15, 14 days to stop the curve for the spread of what? Pestilence and disease. They're, they're in our time. So, what, so we ask the question, what, what on earth is going on? Well, our Bible talks about the time that we're living in, and it calls it the end of what? The end of the age. The end of the age. Well, what age? Well, I believe we're coming towards the end of the church age. We know that there's different dispensations of time in the Bible. We know that God worked in the Old Testament. He worked in the New Testament. We know that he's working through the church today. And one day he will work through what nation? Israel. We know these things. So we don't even have to like spend a lot of time building that out. We, we already know that. So we are living in the last days of this age. Matthew 24, 3 and 4 Jesus said, it says, now he sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, what will be the sign of your coming? What and what of the end of the age? What about the end of the age? And Jesus begins telling them how it would be. Luke 21, verse 28. Jesus says this. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Who's your? Jesus is coming. But on the other hand, there are things that have happened over the last century that in fact are different than times before. And that's what I want to look at this morning. So what makes the times that you and I live in today different than the time before? Well, we got to look to the fig tree to figure this out. I kind of foreshadowed this in Sunday school a little bit. So if you're there, I warned you about this. But let's look to the fig tree to this morning. Verses 32 to 35 of Matthew 24. It's also recorded in Luke 21 if you want to look over there. It says... From the fig tree, learn its lesson. So what do you think Jesus wants you to learn here? A lesson, right? I know that's deep theological truth, but hang on, there's more. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that what is near. So what season are you in when that's happening? Spring, right? We know this because that's how it works. We can clearly see that. So also, when you see these things, what things? Disease, pestilence, famine, natural disasters. Uh, the, you see everything that Jesus has been describing to them. When you see these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So what makes you and I live in times that are different? Well, the sands of the hourglass transitioned, if you will, on a significant date, May 14th, 1948. What happened on that day? Israel became a nation. Matthew 24 verses 32 to 35 uses the illustration of a fig tree relating to what nation? Israel. So it's a direct correlation. 
Other verses in the Bible also refer to Israel as a fig tree. Let's, let's explore some of these. Judges chapter 9 and verse 10. By the way, Judges 9, 7 through 15 is called the parable of the, of the trees, okay? Uh, but in the midst of that, it says here in the Bible, Then the tree said to the fig tree, You come and reign over us. Talking about the nation of Israel being directly correlated to a fig tree. Then the other tree said to the fig tree, Israel, you reign over us. Proverbs 27 and verse 18. You can go back and say the judge's passage. I don't have time this morning to get to it, but Proverbs 27, 18. Whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who guards his master will also be honored. Another passage, Hosea 9, 10. Like grapes in the wilderness, I found Israel. Like the first fruit on the fig tree in its first season. I saw your fathers, but they came of Baal Peor and consecrated themselves to the things of shame and became detestable like the thing they loved. Joel 2.22. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pasture of the wilderness are green. The tree bears its fruit. The what? Fig tree and the vine give their full yield. Well, guess who Joel's talking about? What nation is he talking about? He's talking about Israel. So Israel throughout history, throughout the Old Testament, and there's more passages we could pull up. These are just a sample. All of them are pointing to what nation in the fig tree? Israel. So when we read in, Luke, in Matthew 24, and we read in Luke 21, the fig tree, then obviously that's talking about the church. <laughs> no, it's talking about the fig tree. Who's illustrated as a fig tree in the Bible? Israel. So we understand that what Jesus is talking about here is concerning the nation of Israel. When Israel begins to, to, to grow, when she, becomes, she comes to life, when leaves begin to come out of a soft branch, what do you see before you see leaves? Buds. When those soft things begin to come out of the branch, what season do you know is coming? Summer. And with summer comes growth, and with growth comes... What do fig trees produce? Figs. These verses are speaking more than just about agriculture. Hosea and Joel, both being prophets, are speaking prophetically about the nation of Israel using a fig tree. Before May 14, 1948, the nation of Israel had been non-existent for over 2,000 years. The Jewish people were scattered among the nations of the earth. They had no homeland. And the Hebrew language was basically extinct. It was gone. Bible prophecy concerning Israel and the Jews in the last days is what I want to focus on in the next couple minutes. So what I'm going to show you now is fulfilled prophecy from the Bible that has occurred in many of our lifetimes. Some of it's before our time, but some of it's happening right now in our time at the same time. So let me show you a couple. Let's, uh, let's first of all look at this. The Jewish people are going to be regathered back to their homeland. All right? Already gave you the date this happened on, but this is the first prophecy we're going to start with. Go to Isaiah chapter 11, verses 11 and 12. I'll put it on the screen for you for time's sake here. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathos to Cush, from Elam to Shinar, from Harmath, from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and he will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from where? Where did the people that inhabit Israel today come from? What nation? 
All over where? Just, just the Middle East? Just Russia and the Middle East? Just Russia, the Middle East, and Asia? No, from all literally where? All around the globe. Fulfillment began in the early 1900s and still continues to this day. Fulfilled prophecy. Is Israel today shrinking or growing in its number? Continually growing. From 1948 to present, they have had a population just trajectory is straight up. Immigration and birth. Says also that the nation of Israel is going to be reestablished as a nation. Isaiah 66 verses 7 and 8. Before she was in labor, she gave birth, and her pain came upon her, and she delivered a son. Who, who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a land be born in a day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. Ezekiel goes on further to say this in Ezekiel 37, verses 21 and 22. Then say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone and will gather them from all around and bring them their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land and on the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be the king of all of them. And they shall no longer be two nations and no longer divided into two kingdoms. Well, let me ask you a question. How many nations are there today that call themselves Israel? One. Who's their king? They don't have a king. They have a parliament. By the way, who's, uh, who just won an election again over there? Benjamin Netanyahu. Conservative back in, the, in control of Israel again. Here we go. This is what, his second or third tour? I think it's his third tour as prime minister of Israel. And conservatives are in power of Israel over there, which is really interesting because... Who's in charge of America right now? Conservatives or not conservatives? It's an important factor to think about as we go into an election for, as Christians. Understand the dynamics of the time we're living in. Israel's getting more conservative while America, a Christian nation, that we tout that we're Christian. By the way, do you remember in the Ten Commandments there's one not like the other? Remember that one? Love the Lord, or uh, don't have any other gods before me. Um, don't make any graven images, keep my day holy. What was the other one? Don't cuss. That's the other one. Don't cuss, right? Don't use the Lord's name in vain. Don't cuss. Now, you know what the Lord's name in vain means? What? Don't call yourself or associate yourself with God and live to the contrary. What is America as a Christian nation doing today? Proclaiming ourselves to be one nation under God, indivisible. Are we divided today? Are we living under God? Is, is he the one calling the shots? So we're professing ourselves to be a Christian and we're living like the unsaved. Woe to the nation. Woe to the nation that says I'm their God and I'm not. This is why it's, it's, it's very apropos the time we're living in to understand the dynamics that we're in because I'll tell you this, the nightly news is not going to share this information with you. All right? The unsaved are not going to share this information with you. Um, guess who shared the information with you? God. 
Who wants you to know what's going to happen in the future? God. Why did God give us prophecy? So we can sit back and say, Woo! Got my fire insurance. We're going, baby. Woo! No. It's to understand the times that we live in so we know how to witness and warn appropriately. The church was left here to warn the world not to go into the judgment. Not to go into the day that's coming. And, and the more we read our Bible, the more I study my Bible, the more the Bible is screaming, this is about to happen. By the way, this was fulfilled May 14, 1948. Fulfilled scripture. Let, let's move a little deeper in here. The Jews are going to reoccupy the city of Jerusalem. Predicted in the Bible. Zechariah chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. I know somebody in here had their devotions here this morning, so I'm sorry for repeating this. Because Zechariah is one we read all the time, right? Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with a staff in his hand because of great... Now, if they're old, they're living in Jerusalem, what does that tell you about them? War or peace? They're living in peace. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. What does that sound like? Peace. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of his people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts. Is this not a good thing? Verse seven, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the, who's the west country? And I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem and they will be my people and I will be their God in faithfulness and in Who's that talking about, the church or Israel? It's Israel. So we gotta, we got to stop and start putting the pieces together here. By the way, when was this fulfilled? June 7th, 1967. Isn't it awesome we can put dates to these events of Scripture? How many were alive then? Ah, oh, now I know your age. Think about it. That's in your lifetime this Scripture fulfilled. It wasn't fulfilled prior to a point in your lifetime. Let's go a little bit deeper. How about the Hebrew language? Let's talk about that a little bit. The Bible does talk about that. This is the other one I know somebody had their devotions in this morning. Zephaniah chapter three and verse nine, right? Zephaniah, for at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him with what? Now, Israel was hidden in what nation? all the nations of the world. So she's a multilingual people that God is going to bring back together in one nation and give them one tongue that they rally around. Well, guess what Eleazar ben Huda in 1903 began to do? He began to take the dead Hebrew language and modernize it. And out of it, we've learned a lot of our modern translation ability from this man right here. And he began to fulfill that in the 19th century, carried it over until he died in the 1930s. And he's known as a father or the resurrection of the father of the Hebrew language. Check that out. A language that was dead came back. What other language has ever done that? What is Latin called today? Dead language. Why did it die? They quit using it. Hebrew was stopped being used and came back. How about this? The nations of the world come against Israel and want control of Jerusalem again. 
That's not happening, is it? No. This, again, somebody did the devotions here, I'm pretty sure, this morning. Zechariah chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. Behold, I'm about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. The siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. On that day, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples and all who lift it will surely hurt themselves and the nations of the earth will gather against it. Fulfillment. Well, it's happening right now. The UN just did a 179 to 5 UN resolution against what nation? Israel. Why? Because they have nuclear weapons and they didn't sign the nuclear peace treaty and they're outside the nuclear proliferation and we need to know what weapons they have because if we ever need to invade them, we need to know what we're up against. That's what the reason they gave. If we ever wanted to attack them, we need to know what weapons they have. Let me ask you a question. How many nations want to attack Israel then? What was the vote? 179 to 5. Who are the five? Well, Canada and the U.S. are two. The other three, you can go look them up. They're pretty obscure. They're not the main liar. That means France. That means Britain. That means Germany. That means our allies did not vote in the U.N. for Israel to, to be left alone. They, they, they're at odds with Israel. They, they have issues with Israel. In our modern day, when's this one being fulfilled? Well, that was last week. This last week, literally, last Sunday to last Saturday, that vote took place. So since May, of, May 14th of 1948, God's prophetic timetable has been sped up exponentially. You and I are living in the most exciting times of human history. The end of the age. The end of the age just before Jesus returns to take the church away and to establish Israel as his people once again. This is what we look forward to in, in Scripture. This is what Scripture points towards, is the day in which the Lord will reestablish His rule and reign in what city? Jerusalem. Who occupies it? Israel. I mean, we all rejoice in thinking that one day Jesus is literally going to rule and reign on the face of the earth for a thousand years, and we're like, yes! But in order to get there, what has to happen? The church age has to come to an end. A tribulation period has to take place. And then the millennial reign of Christ, and he comes back with all the people in white robes to rule and reign for a thousand years. And guess who those people are? The saints that have gone before and the church. So in order for that to happen, these things must take place. But understand this, this generation will not pass away until all this is fulfilled. Well, what generation? Who's the fig tree? Israel. It's about Israel, not about us. You can't even force the church into Matthew 24 because it was written before the church was born. This is a prophecy to Israel. This is given to Israel. By the way, we got to remember a little history about the Middle East too, don't we? We kind of forget this, but the whole Middle East is about a feud between two half-brothers, Isaac and Ishmael. Remember, the, remember the, the, the battle here? Remember there was a lack of faith that took place? Genesis 16, listen to the narrative here. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah came to Abram and said, Behold, the Lord is 
prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, and it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. I don't know if that's good or bad. That's not application here, sorry. Uh, Verse 3. So after Abraham had lived 10 years in Canaan, Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband and wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to embrace, and you saw that she had conceived. And she took uh, on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. And the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on her way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where, um, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress, submit to her. And the angel of the Lord said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. How many people live in the Middle East today? A few or a lot, right? Verse 13, so she called on the name of the Lord, spoke to her, you are God of seeing for you said, truly, I have been, uh, I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Beor La Roy, which sits between Kadesh and, and Baird. And Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abram called the son that she bore Ishmael. And Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar and Ishmael were born. Then we find out in Genesis 17, just a chapter over. And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting what? For his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I've heard you before. I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear with you at this time next year. So remember the whole Middle East thing that's going on over there. The war is the war between two half brothers. Brothers always get along, right? I mean, brothers always see things eye to eye. They always come to peace and they always work together, right? No. So when we're asking for peace over there, you got two half brothers that are fighting over the fact that one should be blessed over the other. And God said, I'm going to make the one multiply and be a great nation. And why did God choose Israel to start with? Do you remember? Because they were big and mighty. They were the least of all. They were small and insignificant. And God says, I'm going to make Israel, Ishmael what the world thinks power should be. And I'm going to make Israel what I say they should be. And what Sarah tried to do on her own will, God fixed in his will. And now we have the outflow of this event that's taking place in our time. By the way, note this also. Even in the midst of all this stuff going on, God always raises up a message to tell the people. Here, Sarah's trying to figure out, now what do we do? We got two kids instead of one. Now how are we going to work this out? Well, God says there's a plan. God says, I got a plan in this. And you know what? We look at what's going on in the world today, and guess what God says? I have a plan in this. 
Don't fret over it. Don't worry about it. I've got this. And we can rest assured that God is sovereign. He's in control. God always raises up a message or a voice to warn of impending judgment. He's not willing that any should perish. And in our time, he raised up a voice that should tell the world not to worry about what's going on and whose voice is it? It's the church's. It's our job to be telling, warning, and comforting people. By the way, think about this. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians, when it talks about the rapture, it says in the phraseology of that passage of Scripture there, wherefore, comfort one another with what? What do you mean comfort? Jesus is coming back. What do you mean comfort? How's that comfortable? Well, who's in control? Who's in control of the world's events? God is. Are you going to stop him from coming back when he wants to? Is our military going to stop Jesus from coming back? Is the will of all the people in the world going to stop Jesus from coming back? You know what? Greater is he that's in us than he that is. I think he can't be stopped. So if the church is being stopped in the present age, who's allowing it? And why would he do that? Why would he do that? Unless there's a transition that's begun already. And the transition is from the things of this world to the things of the next. And this is the whole point of prophecy. This is why we study it. We understand the times that we live in because we understand the fig tree. When we see Israel come to birth and she sprouts out some new branches and her leaves begin to form and the fig buds begin to come and the figs begin to grow, what do we know about the nation of Israel? What is she getting ready for? She's getting ready to be the center of the stage. She's growing, she's maturing, and she's getting to the point where God wants her to be before the transition goes from the church age to the age of Israel. By the way, Romans 9, Israel chosen. Romans 10, Israel frozen. And what comes after 10? Yeah, Romans 11. Guess what Romans 11 is all about? The thawing out of Israel during what time period? A seven-year tribulation. God uses that to purify her. By the way, seven is the number of what? God and the number of purity. As silver tried in a furnace fire, purified how many times? Seven times. So God is going to purify his people using a time period of purification. Luke 21, 28 says it this way. When these things begin to happen, look up, lift up your heads, because the redemption is near. God is going to redeem Israel. Let me share with you a couple other truths concerning the end of the age, just in, in, in closing here. Number one, we know today Satan wants to destroy Israel, right? We know that for a fact. Are there nations that are currently non-Christian nations that want to see Israel wiped off the map? Where do they find their descendants in? Who, who is the father of their, their descendancy? Ishmael. Why would Ishmael want Isaac gone? It's the blessing. It's the blessing. It's the covenant. They don't get the covenant because they're, they're illegitimate. The legitimate child of Abraham... And Sarah is who? Isaac. The illegitimate child is Ishmael. Who wants the birthright? Who wants the blessing? Who thinks they possess and own the land? Ishmael. Guess who actually has rights to it? 
Isaac. So we understand the battle for Jerusalem. We understand the battle for Israel. We understand why, though they're great in number all around Israel, why they can't touch Israel. Who's protecting Israel? Who's keeping his covenant? Who allowed his people to be dispersed among all the nations of the world and brought back together? Do you think when Israel ceased to be a nation and they were driven out in, after the destruction of the temple in AD 70 and their land was taken over and basically nobody lived in it, it was a desolate desert, when, when it was taken over by everybody else, do you think Satan was like, oh man, I'm worried about Israel? No. It was the greatest thing that ever happened because if you don't have Jerusalem and you don't have Israel, guess what you can't have? The millennium. Because who, who's going to be... Who's going to make all that stuff happen? So just as important as it was for Lucifer to kill Jesus, it was just as important to get rid of Israel. And Israel disappeared for how long? 2,000 years. And just a mere 70 plus years ago, guess what nation was reborn? And guess where she came from? And guess how powerful she is today? And guess who's still growing as a political power and, and, a, and a very mili strong military power as well? That the nations of the world are taking note even in our time. That this is significant. We need to pay attention to the nuclear weapons that Israel has because she might go rogue and use them. <laughs> well, I know who's going to use them on them first or try to. By the way, God has a divine plan for Israel and Satan is waging war against God's people heartily to work and to destroy the plan of God. But God promised the land of Israel, of Israel to Abraham and Abraham's descendants. Genesis chapter 15, verses 17 and 18 and verses 7 and 8. Don't have time to go there. You can go look it up yourself. Number two, there is false peace being offered with Israel today. The UN wants a peace treaty on nuclear proliferation so that when they invade them, they know what weapons they have. How many want to go work for that company? I want to know what's in your house. And when we come burn your house down, we know how much fuel to bring with us. That's in essence what they were told. The hatred, persecution of Israel shows that we're getting towards the end of times. The Antichrist will make a covenant of peace with Israel. Isaiah 28, 18, Daniel 9, 27. Later, he'll break the covenant with Israel and a worldwide persecution of Israel is the result. Daniel 9.27, Daniel 12.1, Daniel 12.11, Zechariah 11.16, Matthew 24.15-21, Revelation 12.13. Israel is going to be invaded, Ezekiel 38 and 39. But God's going to defend Israel when she is invaded. God loves Israel, 2 Chronicles 6, 5, and 6. Jeremiah 5, 6, God calls Israel people and lost sheep. Israel is finally going to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10. Israel will be regenerated, restored, and regathered together, Jeremiah 33, 8. Ezekiel eleven seventeen, Romans eleven twenty six. You say, Pastor, I can't get all these. Yeah, there's video. You'll, you can get there. God's purpose in choosing Israel for, was for them to be a model nation that other nations and families of the world would be blessed through. Genesis 12, 3. He wanted Israel to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Exodus 19, 6. When Christ returns to the earth and sets up his kingdom, he's going to restore Israel to its position of leadership in the world and power in the world. Isaiah eleven twelve 12 and Isaiah 14, verses 1 and 2. God has allowed persecution of the Jews time and time again. 
but he regathered them back to their home. Ezekiel 28, 25, and 26. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 3. Isaiah 43 and verse 6. All these are fulfilled prophecy, folk. All the verses I've given to you is things that have happened in your lifetime. Think of that. You say, well, how many verses did I just give you? Anybody count them? Did you get them all? Somebody was... By the way, we haven't even talked about the last thing yet. God's going to destroy Israel's enemies. This is the prophecy. Now we're really getting into the prophecy. I'm going to show you these verses. God is a great defense of Israel, Ezekiel 38, 21, and 23. God is always with them. God promises that their homeland will be utterly destroyed. God's word clearly states that he will send fire on those that attack him, that dwell carelessly in the islands. They'll know that he is the Lord, Ezekiel 39 and verse 6. God will judge the nations that come against Israel, and his wrath is going to be poured out on them. Let me show you a couple of verses that show God's wrath. How many of you all know God's, God's love, right? God's a loving God. He never does anything evil. Listen to what the Bible prophets have to say about God's wrath. Joel 20, or uh, chapter 2 and verse 20. He doesn't have 20 verses. It says, I will remove the northerner far from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land, his vanguard into the eastern sea and his rear guard into the western sea and stretch the foul smell of him will rise for he has done great things. That sounds like a great barbecue, doesn't it? Ezekiel 35, 5, because you have cherished perpetual enmity and gave over the people of Israel to the power of the sword at the time of their calamity, at the time of their final judgment. God's going to pour out his wrath, he says. Ezekiel 35, 10, 11, because you said these two nations, these two countries shall be mine and will take possession of them, although the Lord was there. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord, I will deal with you according to the anger and envy that you showed because you hated them. And I will make myself known among the nations when I bring you down. That sounds promising. Ezekiel 36, 1 through 4, And you, son of man, prophesy to the mountains of Israel and say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, because the enemy of you said, Ah, and the ancient heights have become our possession. Therefore prophesy and say, thus says the Lord, precisely because they made you desolate and crushed you from all sides, so that you became a possession of the rest of the nations. You became the talk and evil gossip of the people. Therefore, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains and the hills, the ravines and the valleys, the desolate wastes and the deserted cities, which have become a prey of derision among the rest of the nations. God's going to judge them. He says in Ezekiel, when everything's desolate and gone and you're in all the other nations of the world, then I'm going to raise you back up to judge the nations. What's God doing right now? Raising them up to judge the nations. Zechariah 12, 1 through 3, the oracle of the word of the Lord. Concerning Israel, thus declares the Lord who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and the spirit of man within them. Behold, I am about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to the surrounding people. The siege of Jerusalem will also be great in Judah. On that day, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone of all the people who lift it will surely hurt themselves and the nations of the earth will gather against her. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 3 says this, Pray for peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains of a pregnant woman. They shall not escape. Genesis 12, 3 says this, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who... All those prophecies I just read, what nation are they against? The enemies of Israel. How many enemies of Israel do they have right now? How many nations? 
What was the current vote? 179. That's a lot. We're, we're kind of living there. Israel was specifically and sovereignly chosen as part of God's plan to proclaim his name throughout the world. God is continuing to protect Israel for his name's sake. God calls Israel the apple of his eye, Deuteronomy 32 and verse 10, Zechariah chapter 2 and verse 8. God chose Israel to be his covenant people because he loved them with a gracious love, Deuteronomy 7, 7. Israel has a unique and special access to God because God dwelt literally among his people and tabernacled with them. He templed with them. God commands us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, Psalm 122 and verse 6. And a blessing is pronounced to those who will pray and bless Israel, Numbers 24 and verse 9. God wants us to be praying for Israel. God wants us as his church to be watching Israel. God wants us to be looking for Israel to grow, to come to power, to be hated by the world. When you see these things happening, look up because what time is it? Remember the question we asked at the beginning? What was the question? What in the world is happening? This is what's happening in the world. This is it. We're seeing it. Today, God has chosen his church to proclaim his name to all the nations. We know God will accomplish the work that he began. God wants us to serve. He wants our resources. He wants our witness. He's not, we're, we're, not, we're not here for us. If we were, then, then who's God? We're here because he bought us. We're here to serve him. We're called ambassadors of Jesus Christ. What does an ambassador do for a government? It represents the government in a foreign land. This world's not for us. We're to give ourselves to warning those around us so that we can see lives transformed in the glory of God and those souls be adopted into the family of God so they too have the inheritance of who? The Heavenly Father. Because we're called what? The blank of God. What are we? The children of God. What do children get when their father passes on you know what the beauty is with god the father he doesn't die so when do you get the inheritance from an eternal god when he gives it to you what did jesus what did god offer <laughs> i gave the answer i hate it when i do that that's why i don't tell jokes um god gave us jesus as a free gift as an inheritance so that we could have what Everlasting life with who? With the Father. The Father wants you to enjoy all the inheritance that he has. When God put Adam and Eve in the garden, he wanted them to enjoy what? Part of the garden or all the garden? He wanted them to enjoy all of it. But there was just one predicated warning. Don't eat of one tree. Everything else you can freely have. But that one thing, don't do. And what was it that man wanted to do? That one thing. Why? Because deep inside of us, there's a desire to serve ourselves rather than God. And in America today, we're seeing more selfish ambition out of our country than we've ever seen. Divorce, abortion, so many of the sins of our country can be traced right back to one thing. We love ourselves more than we love who? God and others. What are the, what's the golden rule? 
What, what are the two greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. Second's like the verse. Love your neighbor as you. In America, we, we've taken that one step further. Love yourself, despising the world and God. And we call ourselves a Christian nation. And when a country does that, woe unto the nation. Woe unto that people that do that. This is the days of Noah. We're living in the days. Remember, when did God want, want to destroy the earth? The day that they got in the boat or 120 years before when he told Noah to warn everybody? Think about that. When does God want people to get saved? The day that the rapture is going to happen or in the 2,000 years that he's given for his church to warn people not to go into that time? You see, we're living in the exact same time. And we're seeing the, the fig tree bud. And we're seeing the fig tree grow. And we're seeing the fig tree influence the world around them. And here's the question. Why aren't any churches teaching this? Share with me one thing I shared that wasn't in God's word already. And why aren't Christians telling anybody? And by the way, that's what scares me the most. Because when the church is so earthly minded, she's of no heavenly good, what's not needed? And guess what she's ripe for? To be taken up and taken away. By the word, guess what the by the way, guess what the word rapture means? To be taken up and and it was directly used of Jesus Christ himself. After the crucifixion, he will be Mark chapter 2, it's, it's in Mark chapter 2. He will be taken up and taken away. Why did Jesus have to go away? He told us, do you remember? I must go away so another like me will. And who is that one? The Holy Spirit. The church must go away so that another can come. And who's the other? Israel. We're living in that time, folk. This is where we live. The, the, I don't know about you. I look excited. You look scared. I'm excited. Because guess who's in control? Guess whose word's coming true? The sad part, if we're going to be sad, it's sad for us because the gig's up. We can't live for ourselves anymore. And if we do live for ourselves, then we know who our God really is. And this is why the church doesn't want to deal with that because the church today is not built on God's word. It's built on what man thinks a corporation should look like if it were to be a religious corporation. That's why pastors live like CEOs, not like shepherds heralding a message that's not their own. I don't know of a pastor worth his salt that can live up to what the standard is of the Bible. Do you? I know this one doesn't. I have issues. I come short of the glory of God. Some of you may be perfect. I don't know. You can let me know later. I'm not going to judge you. It's between you and the Lord. Examine yourself. But here's the thing. Why is it that we're, we're acting like CEOs and we're acting like the world's going to go on forever when clearly in our midst, prophecy is being accomplished on a, even, last, even this week? We see the nations of the world coming against what nation? The nation of Israel. Syria wants her gone. Iran wants her gone. Saudi Arabia wants her gone. Jordan wants her gone. The Palestinians want her gone. Egypt wants her gone. Actually, who wants her? I only know of one country right now, and we're not doing very good with that. We're turning our backs. 
understand the times that we live in and look up because deliverance is when? Deliverance is near. We're living there, folk. This is where we live. The economic downturn, the pestilence, the disease, the natural disaster. You say, then I'm going to go sell all my life insurance because the rapture is coming. Well, read 1 Thessalonians then, okay? That's what that's written for. Maybe we'll have to preach that after we, do, we, we finish here so that we don't overreact. But man, what a great time to be alive. We have the gospel. We can share the gospel faster and with more people than ever before. And yet, the saddest part is we're not. I, I posted last night, I saw uh, a pastor friend of mine, Scott Poling in, in Illinois, had one member invited 75 people to church. How awesome is that? How many people would be in church if we all did that? Let's say only five come, but man, that would be huge. <clears throat> this is the time we're living in, folk. We've got to wake up. It's high time that we serve the Lord. So, what on earth's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. God's sovereignly doing exactly what he said he would. He's being faithful, and he's being true. And he's working out his will right to the end of the age. You know, we're not the end, right? We're just, we're just a passing point in God's will. We're going to serve him forever, but the church is only a temporary time, and we're living there. So does that excite you or does that scare you? I hope it excites you. But there is a little bit of intrepidation when we stop and really evaluate what's important to us. Is it God's work and God's word and God's ministry? Or is it the legacy that I want to leave behind for my kids and my grandkids that are going to get destroyed in a time of tribulation and millennium anyway? What shall a prophet of man? He gained the whole world. And there's a lot of people trading that right now in our world. They're looking. They're looking to riches. They're looking to other things. They're looking to possessions. And you and I hold the keys to eternal life right here in this book. And this book will not what? Return void. We can trust it. We can take it at his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that we can study it. We can know it. We can, we can see the very things in our own time period. And Father, I pray that at some point today we would take time as individuals to evaluate where we are in the, in the process of understanding the times that we live in. And Father, the, the things that we're seeing come true right now before our eyes. And Father, I just pray that we would see the need to, to be witnesses for you in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. For the time is coming in which the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. And there's not really much holding us back anymore. These prophecies fulfilled were things in the past we could always say, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. But now there's not really anything stopping Israel and the things of the Lord from happening. So, Father, help us to understand the times we live in. Help us to vote this week according to your word and according to your statutes. And, Father, help us to share the hope that's within us with meekness and fear. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.